Welcome to Man Up, the podcast by men, about men, and for men who want to be better fathers, husbands, leaders, and followers of Jesus. Today's topic, radical repentance. Are you ready? Man up. Yes, sir! Welcome, welcome, my friends. I'm your host, Jared Bullman, and this is Man Up, your podcast with all of the information and encouragement that you need to be a better father, husband, leader, and follower of Jesus. We are soldiers in arms. We are a band of brothers. We are comrades, and we fight side by side, hand over hand, shoulder to shoulder, mile after mile, until each has helped the others attain the high calling of Jesus. And today we are joined on the front lines by our friend and fellow preacher and former Oregonian, <laughs> BJ Sipe. Hey, Jared. BJ, how you doing, buddy? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on and go Ducks. <laughs> I don't know what a duck, no. <laughs> I've only been in Oregon for a year and a half, but I've learned about duck culture. You're either a duck or a beaver. And I think the ducks outweigh the beavers by about three to one. Yes, considerably. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about repenting the way that we need to, or as I like to call it, radical repentance. Mm. I think about how Jesus talked about repentance. It was a little bit like surgery mm -hmm. when he was describing it. You know, if your eye offends you or your hand offends you, and we're going to be talking about the things that men need to do to really reach out and take hold of the godliness and the holiness and the promise that has been put before us. But before we get into that, let's get to know you a little bit. Now, one of the ways that I came to know you, I've known of you for several years, but really came to know you over the last year is you have a podcast called Set Your Mind Above, where you allow people to see into your life as you talk about seeing God in life's small moments. And it might be a trip to the grocery store that you're defining or a moment that you had with your wife. And you're trying to help people, hey, this is my words, not BJ's, but you're trying to help people see that maybe things aren't quite as bad as we think they are or there's reason to rejoice in every day. Could you tell us a little bit about where that came from and why that's important to you? Yeah, absolutely. So when I was growing up, my dad would always find a way to teach us some kind of a spiritual lesson. And it was in the smallest things. It didn't matter what we were doing. It could have been taking a trip to the dump or taking a trip to the grocery store, like you said. And I remember one time specifically, we were at the dump and we were throwing stuff out onto this big pile and he was picking stuff up and said, do you want to keep this? And I'm like, no. He's like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> we're at the dump. Like, what's your problem, dad? And he would do that like with three or four other things. You sure you don't want to hold on to this? And I'm like, dad, why do you keep asking me that? Am I missing something? And he said, well, I just don't understand why you would be so okay with holding on to the old man and things that you've put to death and thrown away in your life spiritually. And you want to hold on to that, but not something like this. And it just was this moment of teaching where he was taking a, a very simple thing and using it to teach something profound. And he did that all the time with us. And so that's something I've done for most of my life. And when I got here to Danville in Kentucky, I started writing about these kinds of things. And over time, it kind of just turned into a podcast. And, and what we do is we take every day ordinary events and use them to teach us some kind of extraordinary eternal truth. And a lot of them are learning to see good things in everyday things. And then some of them are really challenging. Some of them are calling us to repentance in some form or fashion with different things. But really the point is that no matter what you're doing, you can look around and you can find a spiritual lesson in anything every single day. It helps me to set my mind above, and that's where all of this comes from. You know, Paul's exhortation to uh, the Colossians to set their mind on the things that are above, and that's a that's a mindset that every day I'm not just caught up in the day-to-day -day life, that I'm seeing spiritual things even in the day-to-day -day life. And so we're on a we're on a break with that podcast right now. There are still well over a hundred episodes that you can listen to. And we'll pick that that podcast back up soon, and it drops usually every day. I remember listening to the podcast for the first time, and this may not mean as much to our younger audience, but the, the guys that are over 30 in the audience will probably know who I'm talking about. It reminded me of Paul Harvey, that you were starting with this 
this scenario of, okay, where is this story going? And then little by little, you're laying down the foundations for kind of the big reveal, which might show up two-thirds of the way through the podcast, where you just really go off into the the spiritual side of things like that's the rest of the story. Mm. I thought, this is a great format, and they're only about 15 or 20 minutes long. Yeah, so. they're, they're, I try to keep them... 10 to 15 minutes, but I'll tell you what, that is the biggest compliment anyone could give me is to, to say that it reminds them of Paul Harvey. That guy's a legend, uh, but it is fun. Sometimes I'll, I'll get excited. I'll tell Kylie, I'm going to turn that into a podcast. And she'll go, how in the world are you going to turn that into a podcast? I mean, we've had some weird ones. We had one about a cat being stuck under our house uh, and luring <laughs> it out with a can of tuna. We've had some, some fun ones that we've been able to turn into a podcast. So after listening to the podcast, BJ, it's undeniable that you and I are a lot alike. You love being a husband and a father. And today, what we see is that men are delaying those decisions and looking for f- fulfillment in other avenues and relationships. And again, this is kind of a getting to know you question. But as somebody that is so passionate about being a husband and a father, what do you say to young Christian men about that? And are there dangers in delaying the search for a godly w- woman? And what benefits might they be missing? That's a good question. Let me, let me lay a foundation by beginning with you do not have to get married to be a fulfilled and content Christian, a fulfilled and content man, or a fulfilled and content woman. I mean, not at all. And right. I, when, when I speak about the blessings of marriage, I am in no way, or having children, I'm in no way trying to throw shade at those that have not yet gotten married, uh, whether they've wanted to or whether they have not wanted to. You know, and Jesus talks about that. There are those that have made themselves eunuch for, eunuchs for the kingdom, and uh, right. marriage is not, is not for everybody. I understand that. That being said, if you're under the impression that marriage is kind of like the end of your freedom or like this whole ball and chain or the old battle axe, the old, the old expressions that you heard growing up, and you could not be more wrong. I mean, the, the freedom of marriage is, is unbelievable to have someone that you really become one with and that you can live out God's plan with. I would say to someone who's hesitant about marriage or children is kind of cliche, but it's like when someone tells a joke and they say you kind of had to be there, I tell them you, you kind of have to be there. You have to just experience it. And you don't think you're right. ready at, at any point. If you're waiting until you're ready, you'll never be ready. I mean, no one's ever going to be a perfect husband or a perfect wife. You just kind of jump in and learn along the way. But I'll tell you what, there, there is no greater blessing than a, a, a godly wife or for you women out there, a godly husband and children. I mean, my favorite part of my day is when I walk through the door at home and my two kids come running up, screaming my name and run into my arms. There is no greater blessing than the family unit that God has, has given us to learn every single day from my marriage and from my children about my relationship with God. And about my relationship with Jesus. The loss of freedom always scares me a little when I hear people say that, because what freedom do you think you have that you're turning loose of? Mm. Because is it the ability to play the field? Is it the ability to, to feel unshackled and you can just go wherever you want to with no responsibility at all and no, no forethought? That's not really the way to live as a Christian. And the other side of the sexual freedom that people get entangled in is definitely no way to live as a Christian. But more and more, I do hear people saying, just looking for perfection. Mm-hmm. And perfection is not something that you find. I mean, my wife will tell everyone who asks her that, she, number one, she'll tell them how much she loves me, but she'll also tell them how much, and and I had to do the same for her but she would tell them how much she had to train me to be the man that she wanted me to be. It's not like I'm a puppy and need training, but she had expectations, and I didn't come ready to meet those expectations because nobody does. And that kind of training is a lifelong process that if you delay that because you're wanting to 
have your fun and, and engage with the world, even if you're not straying into sexual immorality, then your pool is getting smaller and smaller. Yeah. Yeah. And the habits that you might not want in your spouse or they may not want in you, which might be a better way of thinking of this, are going to be more entrenched. And the blessing of children is something that I think guys today, and it's not just guys, I, th I think some women today, much, 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 much fewer than, than, than the guys, but I think it's become prevalent among women think that children are somehow a cramping of the lifestyle and not a change of the life situation. I mean, I loved my life before my son came along, but not the way that I do with him in the world. Yeah. And I cannot wait to see him every morning. And I absolutely love tucking him in at night and reading books or talking about God or or the things, even just being silly for a few minutes while we lay down and I sort of scratch his back and get him ready for bed, that we talk about those things. And I wouldn't trade those moments for all of the extra free time in the world because that means so much to me. And, and I think we need to reframe the conversation because in a lot of ways we've allowed the world to reframe the things that God has blessed us with Oh yeah, as hindrances and nooses and impedance to be avoided until the last possible second when I guess I have to. I mean, I found a woman that I am crazy in love with, that I'm still, nearly 20 years later, crazy in love with. And she's a blessing. And I wouldn't have, I don't believe in the concept of soulmates and things like that, but right. I wouldn't to this day choose any other, regardless of how she, how that person might look or, or, the things of life that kind of happen and the, the ups and downs you have in your marriage that sometimes weigh you down as baggage years later when they come back to mind. I wouldn't trade her for anybody. Yeah, man, we're vibing here. I'm, I'm loving just the way you're talking about your wife and your son. And, and I, I feel every, every single word that you're saying. And I was, you're exactly right about the reframing thing because I, I was, we're teaching a marriage class right now and we're going through, Dr. Emerson Egrick's material on love and respect. And one of the things that he talks about is Hollywood or the holy word and our approach to marriage. And when he says that, what he's talking about is that so many people bring these unrealistic pictures of what marriage should be and these unrealistic expectations on their spouse because that's how we've been trained. You look at Hollywood and the idea is, well, love is love and you have no control over it. And so if it causes pain for everybody and heartbreak for everyone, then it is what it is, but you'll live happily ever after with no problems. Or they'll, they'll teach that if it's real love, then it will always be good and always be happy. And there won't be any hard things. And, and if there are hard things, then you made, you're in the wrong relationship. They're not the right person for you. And so people give up. That's why the divorce rate is so high. But that's just yeah. not the picture or the reality of marriage. Marriage is, is hard. That's what Paul said in Corinthians. He says, if you marry, you have not sinned, but you'll have trouble. Marriage is hard, but it's worth it. And the blessings that come from sticking with it, and, and there's, there's no greater blessing. And then you, you bring children into the mix. And, and like you said, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I love, I love to golf. I'm terrible at golfing, terrible at golfing, but I wouldn't give up golfing two or three times a week. Or I, if you offered me two or three times a week, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take that for trading my position in life. I, I love my kids. I love that I come home and that I have a routine and that we, each night I get to put them to bed and. It's those little moments uh, that just remind you of how lucky you are and how blessed you are. I was, I was oh, putting yeah. my kids down to sleep you know, last night, and I'm singing you know, songs to my son, and he's singing them with me. He's turning two next week, and we're singing uh -oh, Jesus yeah, Loves I remember Me. remember that age. And Jesus, uh, let us come to know you. And he's just, he, he'll, I'll do the first part, and he does the second part. He's like, I'm like, gee, and he goes, us and let us and he'll like sing with me and so i mm -hmm. put him down and then i go back and i cuddle in with my daughter she's three almost four 
And we're just laying there, and she just goes, Daddy, I love you to Jesus and back. And I mean, oh, yeah. you can't you can't beat that. That's it, man. I mean, done. That's life. <laughs> so it's it's those moments, and and you're exactly right. We 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 need to fight back against the the messages that we're being told about marriage or children in media and in Hollywood and all these areas, and and we need to allow our our minds to be retrained and reframed with a biblical perspective because God knew what he was doing when he designed us. The lessons that you learn from those things are such important lessons and you want to share them. In fact, I'm working on a book where I focus on stories like that, things that we learn from our children, things that we learn by being husbands and fathers and how it is that the world really has taken the blessings of God and and reframed them as hindrances. And until we really see that, then what we're what we're doing is adopting the morals of the moment and ignoring what God has said. The reason why why there is so much misery is we're looking for a kind of love that doesn't exist. Yeah. That there's not a love that doesn't have any bad days. There's not a love that there aren't some difficulties. So let me ask you this question. You're a preacher and a podcaster, a husband and a father. What else are you passionate about? I am passionate about coffee. <laughs> I have got Hey. My pour over right here. I'm I'm a I joke with people who know him. I say I'm a miniature Mark Roberts. <laughs> Mark Roberts is big into <laughs> his coffee and respect him in his work that he does a lot. But no, I, those are, there's small things. I'm I'm passionate about coffee. I love football. I love baseball. Those are just I'm passionate about hiking outdoors. But the things that those are those are things that can come and go. They have their place, but they're not necessarily important. Things that I'm when we say passionate, things that are, are very important to me and will always be important to me. Obviously, being in ministry, people are important to me. You know, I'm passionate about connecting with people and showing them that they're loved and showing them a better way than the way that they've been trying for so long. And so I'm, I'm very passionate about people and getting to know people and, and loving people. And a lot of that stems from just how God has loved me and how people have loved me in my life and, and have taught me what that mm-hmm. looks like in, in actuality, not just in word, but in deed. And then there are elements of that that I'm more passionate about than others. And a lot of it goes to my background and things that I have come out of and things that I've struggled with uh, that have lit a fire in me to help bring other people out of those same kind of places. I, I'm very passionate about uh, two things in particular. One is uh, overcoming pornographic addiction. And that was a big part of my life for many years. And I can remember as clear as day my first encounter with pornographic material when I was 15 years old. And that started me down a journey and a road that uh, I wish I could go back and change. And I can't. The damage is, mm-hmm. is done, uh, and I have to do my best now to uh, live a life of recovery and live a life of freedom that also hopefully will teach others how they can do the same. And so I'm very passionate about talking about that, and I, I'm passionate about perspective, things that we were just talking about, things that we allow to become so important in our lives that really aren't that important. I was joking at the beginning, I said, go Ducks, but Football's not important. It used to be to me. It used to be the biggest thing. I couldn't miss a game. If my team lost, my whole day would be ruined. And being a Ducks fan, that was more often than not. So, But you, you watch the way that Christians treat others over things that don't matter, over, over politics, over sports, uh, over school districts and education lines. Oh, yeah. These are not important things. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things I'm most passionate about is, is reminding people of, of things that are, that are important. Class, what class you're in is not important. Your, your social status is not important. Your looks are not important. Who you root for is not important. The only thing that is important is that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're on the same team, and that we are fighting in a spiritual battle against Satan. And we need to Remember that, because if not, we're going to end up biting and devouring one another over the most 
absurd things rather than supporting each other in, in a, a, a spiritual fight that we're in. And if we learned to love each other and remember the most important things, I think the church would look a whole lot different in our interactions with each other and the things that we were able to accomplish. Yeah, you brought up one that I'm, I'm really extremely passionate about, and that is helping people overcome their dependence on these external things to define themselves. If you've listened to this program at all, you've heard me talk about my struggle with politics and how I had to, I keep saying 10 years ago, it's a little more like 15 years ago now. Well, not <laughs> Let's quite. not age it, ourselves. It's, it, it's more like 12 years ago <laughs> now, I guess, because we're in 2022. So, But I reached over and turned off talk radio because I realized it was making me angry with people that I didn't know and probably bringing me to the point where that was the first thing that I considered about a person, mm -hmm. not whether or not they were in the body of Christ. And Paul says he determined to know nothing about anyone except whether or not they were part of the body of Christ. That's right. He didn't care whether they were Jew or Gentile. And, and that, what you just said about passions ensnaring us is, is sort of where I was going with that introductory question that there are things that we can enjoy. There are identities that we have, but when we when we're controlled by those identities. You talked about passions being misguided. Um, when James' epistle that he writes, I mean, it's, it's not a happy letter. <laughs> I mean, he's dealing with people that have a lot of problems. I mean, they've got a lot of problems. They're showing partiality, and they are considering themselves better than one another and looking down on others. And... He, he makes this bold statement in chapter 4 and in verse 1. And James says, What's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? In other words, is it not your passions that are within you? Right. He says, You lust and you do not have, so you murder. You are envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you will spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? And you look at that, and James hits it right on the nail, and it's exactly what you're leaning into here, Jared. A lot of the source of our quarrels in, over the past two years, it's, it's not been these issues, that the reason that we've got problems is because of what's going on in our heart. And, yeah. and that's what needs addressed, that's what needs fixed, and that's what needs turned away from. And there needs to be some, to coin a, an expression used earlier, there needs to be some radical repentance in our life if we're going yeah. to fix the body right now. Well, and... The source of that is is something that you were talking about just a few minutes ago, and that is you know, we are controlled by these outside influences. And that, that goes back to that passage in 2 Corinthians 5 that I was talking about, that James talks about drawing those outside influences in and they become our passions, that they become that we have to realize that that's, that something is going to control us. Some influence controls us, and, and it's the idea of idolatry that there is something that is controlling you. And so when you look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he says in verse 14 that the love of Christ controls us, meaning we have surrendered to the love of Christ, having concluded this, that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again, on their behalf. That's that Galatians 2.20, it is not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Yeah. And then you look at the next thing that he says, and he says, therefore, verse 16, from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Paul says, we've surrendered to the love of Christ, that that dictates how I relate not just to my brethren, but to the world around me. And to my brethren, I'm not going to recognize them as Jew and Gentile. I only care about are they in the body or 
are they outside the body? And if you're outside the body, then I'm not going to fight with you about the things of the world. I'm going to be an ambassador for Christ. I'm going to bring the message of Jesus to you. Paul, Paul talks about two motivations here. He talks about being motivated by fear and motivated by love. Knowing the, the right. fear of the Lord, we persuade men, and then the love of Christ controls us. And I think if we don't have an idea of, if we don't really believe what's going to happen in the end, uh, if we don't say anything, uh, or if we don't care enough to say anything, then that's really right. the, the key factor there is we care more about our passions than we do about souls. Mm -hmm. We care more about our passions than we do about people. We would rather be right than help others be saved and to be saved ourselves. And I mean, that's, that's the exact thing that was going on in the day with Jesus, with issues regarding Sabbath. There was a heart issue. We can either be right or we can help others be righteous. And if we're going to help others be righteous, I have to be righteous. And righteous is not the same thing as self-righteous. I have to embody what God expects of someone that has fully come to him and fully surrendered to him and is controlled by the fear of the judgment and the love of God and the love of Christ that drives out that fear of the judgment because I'm trying to walk in that love as John talks about in 1 John 4. So let me jump into the show questions. That's a great springboard for where we were going. When I, when I think about the circle of friends that we run in. And I've, I've known of you for years, but it was Kenny Embry reached out to me a few weeks ago and said, Hey, I had BJ Seipel on the program a few weeks back. And I really think you need to go listen to his episodes because I think he'd be great for man up his episode of balancing the Christian life that you did on pornography. I, it, to me, it was probably the most vulnerable and the best I've ever heard on the topic because you address not just the psychological factors, the emotional factors, but also the, the chemical factors. And, and in a lot of ways, pornography mirrors addiction to other substances. You have the dopamine release, you have the, the basically flooding of the dopamine receptors, the, the brain becoming dependent upon it because the coming down off that level of dopamine is, is hard and that kind of sets a new baseline for normal. But one of the things that's becoming very evident in our culture is that addiction is something that men struggle with. And probably nearly every man struggles with some addiction, be it just a mild form or a very aggressive form of something at some point in his life. I've known people that were addicted to Dr. Pepper. Like if they didn't have a Dr. Pepper <laughs> by 9 a.m., they didn't, they didn't <laughs> feel normal. I thought it was funny. And then he was telling me about the struggle of getting off of it. And I realized, yeah, that what you're describing is kind of a, a weak form of withdrawal. Yeah. It's probably the case that men are more so likely to fall into addiction than women, just based on the numbers that I've seen. And it may be that men are more open about this struggle. It may be the reason behind it. But how do we know when we're trapped in an addiction cycle? And why is it so hard for us to break free, knowing that part of breaking free is having some difficult discussions about our dependence on things? That's a good question. The whole men-women thing, there are way more women, at least in the pornography sphere, that are addicted to pornography than people realize. Uh, um, it's, it's maybe not 50-50, but it's like 60-40 between men and women. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot more than people realize. And but, women are definitely the fastest growing segment there for, based on the, yes, the statistics that yeah, I've read. absolutely. But how do you... When, Which, by the way, if you're going to research pornography statistics, make sure you set your browser to incognito. Yes. <laughs> well, I would, I would encourage you to go to safe sources to do... Uh, I'll just speak on that there. Don't just type porn into the internet, <laughs> okay? Go, go... Please don't do that. Yeah. Go, go to eyes and look at the many, many, many thousands of pages of free resources and documentation that they have right. on their site. And, and you, can, you can get in access to good information and updated information in a very safe platform. Uh, that's all I'll say about that. Um, yeah, Bar the Barna Institute is another one of those that does a lot of yes, studies on yes, things like Barna, that. Barna, um, so, yeah, statista.com, yeah. yeah, a whole bunch. How do we know when we're in an addiction cycle, let me say that I think a lot of people don't, they don't know. 
And I think a lot of people don't want to know. They don't want to admit that because that is going to get into a whole nother subject that I've been working on recently, and that's this idea of vulnerability. I don't want people to know that I'm struggling with this. I don't want people, I, I don't want even to a, a admit to myself that I don't have control over this. And that's what a lot of people tell themselves is I can stop anytime. I can stop anytime. Like I'm, I'm in control. You know, when in actuality, that's just a lie that they've chosen to believe and when they're not in control. This substance or this, this thing is what is controlling their, their mind. And, and it, it's not just a weird, mystic kind of control thing that you know, people, what do you mean it's controlling you? You've reprogrammed your brain when it comes yeah. to addiction. And you, you touched on some of this, but God designed our brains to release certain endorphins at certain times. And when it's done within the context of how God designed us, it helps the brain to bond and to work beautifully. When you abuse it, it breaks it. I mean, it, it really does. It, 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 the dopamine and, and different endorphins are, are not released unless there are further actions taken. You have to do more and more and, and different kinds. And drugs work the same. Alcohol works the same. Pornography works the same. And then it opens up all these neural pathways to where your brain starts to look for ways to get that next fix anywhere in places that you wouldn't normally do that. In, in the pornography realm, I was just talking to someone recently uh, where there was a, a man that they knew who was just arrested for child molestation. And the reason that that started was because of an addiction to pornography. And where he wouldn't have ever sexualized children to begin with, that's how far he went down that pathway. That's how far his brain went in, in his, the damage he had done to his prefrontal cortex and his judgment center to, to just no longer even see a problem with that. And, and so when people are in addiction, because of the damage they've done to their brain, many times they don't, they don't realize it. They don't want to admit it. They don't, under, they don't see it. And it's, it, it really does take help you aren't going to be able to do this by yourself. And, and so I think if someone gets to a point where they're able to admit, the first step is admitting that I don't have control. And you see this duplicated in programs that work with people that have a problem with alcohol consumption and they don't have control over their alcoholic consumption. The first thing that they're asked to do when they sit down in an AA meeting is they have to confess and admit that they don't have control. Hi, my name is BJ Sipe and I'm an alcoholic, right? Um, right. That's the first step. And if you can do that in a, in, a, in a place where you can be supported and get the help that you need, then you're going to be able to break out. Because that's part of how God designed us also. God never designed us to do things on our own. That's why there's the church. That's right. why there's confession. That's why we're told to bear one another's burdens. We, we recover from sin together. We don't do anything by ourselves. And that's why it's so hard on that second question to break free is because we believe the lie that I can do it by myself. We right. believe the lie that I don't need anybody else. There's really three A's that I, I've picked up from different groups that work with people who struggle with pornographic addiction, and it's accountability, affordability, and accessibility. And some of those I can't have anything to do with. As far as affordability, what you used to have to pay someone for or purchase shamefully is now accessible for free all over the place. Um, right. In the accessibility part, can't take down the internet. <laughs> Pornography is always going to be easily accessible for people I can limit my access, and that's a, a, a another subject. But the part that is absolutely always within my control is the accountability factor. And mm -hmm. whether or not I deal with this on my own or whether or not I allow people and set up a system where people will always know whether I'm being honest with them or not. And I, I've always loved using this illustration because this whole idea of I can do it on my own, I don't need help, is just a lie. And I've always used penguins 
as an illustration for that. So, yeah, yeah, I love you. If y'all couldn't see Jared's face right now, it just went, what? <laughs> so, penguins, here we go. Penguins. Are... This is going to be the best analogy uh, ever. I I'm, can so, tell. I'm so excited to share this. And so, this is actually not my illustration. I stole this from Gary Sandusky, who just passed away this past year. Gary was a wonderful soldier in Christ, but I remember him coming and talking mm-hmm. to me about this. And he said, penguins are, are actually not built for their environment. When you, when you watch for penguins and you watch the documentaries about penguins, when it starts getting down to those extraordinarily cold, frigid temperatures, what the penguins do is they all get in that circle together and they all huddle together. And there's actually this rotation that they, they do where the ones that are on the inside rotate towards the outside. So they're more cold, but then as time goes on, then they rotate back towards the center. And so they all keep each other warm and they keep each other alive. And what happens is if a penguin gets separated from the rest of them and that, that storm hits and the cold frigid temperatures take place, it freezes to death. You find a frozen dead penguin. And this is what happens in our life. Here's your set your mind above, take an everyday ordinary event and turn it into a spiritual truth moment. This is exactly what happens in our lives spiritually, is if we say, well, I don't need anybody else. I don't need help. I don't need the church. I I love going back to that analogy because that's how God designed us. Why is it hard to get out of and break free? Because we believe the lie that I can do it by myself. And that goes not just for pornography, but but any kind of addiction. And the the third thing that you mentioned there was the accountability factor. And I think that's the one that the devil is really trying to erode. While we were talking about looking up the statistics on pornography, I went to the Barna group and pulled up the latest poll that they had done on that and, and done a breakout on, which was about four years ago where they had done a full breakout on it. One of the things that they mentioned in that poll was that not recycling was considered more evil by most teens and young men than viewing pornography. Think about that for a second. Hmm. And that trying to whittle down that accountability so that we'll leave that circle. This isn't that big a deal. Yeah. It's when when Peter says the devil is walking about like a roaring lion seeking the one whom he can devour, that's exactly what he's talking about. He's looking for the one that's breaking free from the herd. That you need to make a set your mind above shirt with a penguin on it and just sell it in little stores. <laughs> hey, <something>. man, <laughs> that's a good idea. From me what's, to you. What's this penguin but, about? Yeah, what's this penguin about? Well, you have to listen to know what the penguin is about. But that thought of breaking free from the herd means death is the accountability. I mean, we need the accountability. And the more acceptable the devil makes the sin in our mind, the less accountable we feel for it. And and I know BJ was using the example of pornography, but when you're talking about any addiction, whether it's drugs or alcohol or pornography or or swearing or any number of things that, that can become habitual and then second nature, and then maybe even dependent upon. Yeah, I've known people in my life that I thought swearing was something they were absolutely dependent upon just to function and communicate because their brain had been wired that way. Mm-hmm. That there, you can be, whether it's a true addiction or it's it's just something that you struggle with, the more acceptable that it becomes in your mind, the the more you think, well, this really isn't a big deal, the more difficult it's going to be to break free from it. and when you're dealing with something like like pornography that is rewiring your brain to to use BJ's term there loading your prefrontal cortex and you're and you're trapped in a dopamine addiction cycle at that point then where you end up is even when you see the harm in it that escaping it is almost it gives you almost as much fear as as remaining in it yeah and being able to talk about that and being able to say hey i i have this issue mm-hmm. i had a friend of mine jeremy hodges recommend in fact i gave it to a young friend of mine that was struggling with this but recommended the 12-step the original alcoholics anonymous 12-step program 
reading through that book to deal with pornography because it is so enslaving that it takes away your self-esteem and yet you feel like you're getting self-worth from it at the same time. Yeah. And it, it is the way that I've heard people describe that. And that makes repentance difficult. Mm -hmm. And we often think about repentance as just changing our behavior. <laughs> but when Jesus speaks about it, he talks about it almost like surgery. He uses the metaphor of cutting off the hand or plucking out the eye. When we simply change our behavior, we leave room for the problem to resurface. Yeah. So what other steps can we take and should we be taking to make sure that we genuine, genuinely repent? And that, I mean, you can use pornography as an example, or you can use any, just talk about it in general terms. But yeah. what, somebody comes to you and says, I'm struggling with this. I just can't get it out of my brain. I can't, mm -hmm. it's, it's like I'm, I'm just stuck in this place. What are you going to do to the, do for them to tell them or to help them find that genuine repentance? There's, this will be a long response. There's so much to talk about here. Let me, let me begin like with a specific and then I'll, I'll work bigger. Okay. And you know, repentance, when I, when, especially when I'm sitting and talking to guys uh, that are, that are struggling with pornography and, and I, I talk to multiple guys every single week and some okay. of graduated and done really well. Some have decided that they don't want help and they're trying to do it by themselves and they're still struggling right now. You know, when we, mm -hmm. when we touch base again, you know, there, one guy just told me this week, well, I'm, st I'm still being stupid. And I was like, well, there's, there's a way to fix that. And, and my response right. to him was, you have to renew your mind. When you open up scripture and you open up the text, this is how the Bible speaks about repentance, is repentance is not about artificially changing your behavior. Uh, and what it's about is changing your mind and changing your heart in such a way that will result in a change of life and a change of behavior naturally. And when we are in a battle for our minds every single day, like that's the front line of our fight against Satan is in our minds. That's why Paul says what he does in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, when he says to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And then he says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed through the renewal of your mind. And I, I want you to see what he says. Transformation does not happen without renewing of the mind. It, it's not that transformation just takes place because you worked really hard at it. Transformation takes place when we renew our mind. And the reason we conform to the world is, is really because we love the wrong thing. To conform means literally to assume the same shape as. Okay, so like when mm -hmm. I got a coffee cup here, when I poured my coffee into my cup, it wasn't that coffee has happened to be the shape of my coffee cup. It assumed the shape of what surrounded it and what it was around it. And we lack conviction. Oftentimes we want so badly to be accepted by others. We want so badly to be accepted by others that we would rather appear righteous to those that we believe are godly and hide our sin and then turn around and appear not so righteous to those who are not godly because we want to be accepted mm -hmm. by both sides. So we end up living this double mind, this double life. And when you think about how many times Paul says something like stand firm or or remain faithful. Yep. Those are all the idea of, of don't conform that, I mean, you, you are made in the image of God. You are born into the image of the new man of Christ in Ephesians chapter four. And if you're not, if you're conforming, then you're not standing firm. Yeah. And, and here's, here's where we start because this this double mindedness that so many people live in and here's the deal if you're dealing with addiction you feel that because you're trying to be 
righteous, you're trying to be godly, and then yet you deal with this and you hate yourself. Like I mm-hmm. hated myself for years. And 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 you just were in this endless cycle of regret and guilt and shame and sin and and you hate yourself and you don't want anyone else to see what's going on. But here's the deal. To renew your mind, you, you've got to start by taking control of what you put into your mind and what you put into your life. When you think about the amount of time that we spend engrossed in social media or mass media each day, mm-hmm. are those messages overall godly or ungodly in a general sense? I know you can control your content to an extent, but when you consider the amount of time that we spend plugged in in front of a television or in front of a phone or in front of a computer or in a radio or in, in some kind of a, of a streaming service, right? and the amount of junk that we've got going into our brain, especially if you're dealing with alcohol consumption or pornography consumption or drug consumption. And then you weigh that with the amount of time that we actually spend putting in good things, the amount of time that we spend in prayer, the amount of time that we spend in the Word. Right. It's astronomical, the differences. So I'll, I'll share this with you. This is interesting. You look at, in 2019, uh, Status.com, and I mentioned that earlier, the, the average amount of minutes that were spent with mass media each day were 750 per American. That's 12 and a half hours. That would include TV, newspapers, magazines, radio, digital formats like social media. 12 and a half hours. And that would include things like Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, all these different kinds of things. Now, compare that with the amount of people that are reading. On average, Americans aged 20 to 34, which would include you and I in that age category just about. Uh, I'm right towards the tail end of that one there. <laughs> but I'm about 10 years beyond it. <laughs> right. Yeah, but we're, 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 yeah, close we're, we're feeling, we're close feeling there. But on That's average, right. Americans aged 20 to 34 spend 0.11 hours daily reading, which amounts to less than seven minutes a day. And the time spent reading increases in older generations, but generally it only goes up to 0.28. 2.28 hours spent reading a day. Less than 15 minutes. Less than 15 minutes. In June of 2020, same organization found that 34% of Americans had never once read the Bible. And yet those that were reading the Bible were still within that same time category of of like seven minutes a day. So I'm, right. I'm just, I'm trying to build a, a, a picture for us here. We wonder why we struggle so much with living double lives and what's going on in our, in our brains and why we can't repent when we're filling our minds with trash for the majority right. of the day. And for those that actually do delve into the text and spend time communicating with God in prayer, we spend less than 10 minutes a day. Now you tell me whether that's going to have an effect on the things that you think about and the things that you desire and the things that you want. Desire comes from somewhere. Sure, and and, and our, our, our passions come from somewhere and it's what we feed ourselves. Um, there's a, a... Coveting and desire go to the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh. I mean, you, you see and you experience something and then you want it. Right, right. And... and there's a there's an artist that I really like. He he's a, a a current artist and deals with a lot of deals with a lot of psychiatric and, and things with his music. His name is NF. And there's a, a song he does called The Search and one of the lines in his songs and he says, "The mind is a powerful place and what you feed it can affect you in a powerful way." It's pretty cool, right? Yeah, but it's not always safe. And I love that yeah. line because what he's getting at is exactly what we're talking about here. What you feed your mind is is really bringing out this idea that we are we are in a battle for our mind, and we don't even have control over what we feed our minds. And then we wonder why we struggle. We have got to 
get the bad out. And part of the renewal process is replacing it with that which is good and right and true. And Paul talks about meditate on these things, whatever is true, whatever is holy, whatever is good, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is commendable. These types of things, that's what we need to start putting into our brain. And so I would yeah. I would start there. And of course, that's going to take, uh, to begin with, the admission that I need to start. And this goes into a whole nother discussion about confession and, and why we live these double lives because confession's avoided because we don't, we don't want people to know we're struggling. We don't want to admit that we're struggling. We don't want to be vulnerable. We would rather keep up with the appearance of godliness than actually be godly. Like you said earlier, we want people to think that we're right, right. rather than actually be righteous. Exactly. And one of the things that that, that leads to it, particularly when you're talking about something like pornography, is that it leads to this place where, where it grows not from, it, it grows from a, a habit that we convince ourselves is, it's something I do every once in a while, I stumble and I get back up, and it turns into something that we can't control. And because we were always out of control, control was the illusion and the myth. And, and I have talk to guys who have, and you mentioned the guy that was arrested for, for, uh, I can't even remember, I'll say that, but, yeah, but the, yeah. the thing, the, anyway, the children are something that, that I just, I cannot stand the way our society exploits them today. And, and just the exploitation of children is just, just, it hurts yeah. when you see it. And it, it hurts to walk your son through the mall and 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 you're proud of him for averting his gaze, but knowing that that those influences are trying to write themselves on his heart, yeah, it, it's a hard thing. Yeah, but one of the things that that Keith talked about was we've gotten this idea that that pornography was not that something that we passed on, but young men have gotten this idea that pornography is something that they can view and still keep themselves pure for marriage, and yet they come into the marriage with all of these expectations. Mm -hmm. And the, the wife, if she has viewed any pornography at all, it's, it's much less likely than he has. And yet she's had a steady stream of being told that sex is evil and wrong and, and bad. And you have this immediate disconnect in the marriage. And what you see is that it's eroding happiness. It's, it's, it's destroying the beautiful union that God established where each is helping the other and coming together as one and really grasping what it means to, to, to have an abiding relationship with someone, not just live in proximity with them, but have this I am you and you are me and we are one kind of relationship. Yeah. And when you think about that and, and you think about how, how that has affected the attitudes toward intimacy in our culture and how even things like, like premarital sex has become not just accepted but expected in our culture, so much so that our young people are struggling with that, that the average, <clears throat> the average age, I think I read the other day for, for first time sexual encounter was not, uh, it, it was still late teens, but there were some that were early to mid teens that were reporting being sexually active. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and, I just sat down with someone who had her first child at the age of 14, got pregnant at 13. Yeah. That's, that's common. We have to be able to look at this and just say, this, this isn't going right. We have got to quit accepting the narrative that there is nothing we can do about this. And, and part of it is, and I've said this on a couple of programs, I've got to space them out or else it's, or else it's going to be, it's going to sound like a drum that I'm beating. <laughs> <laughs> I'm recording about four episodes this week. But one of the things that, that I've, that, that we've got to come to terms with is that the minute that we get ready to have the conversation with our children about sex, 
you can bet the devil has already had way more conversations with them than you're ever going to have. Yep. Yep. And I, and I'm, we need to be on top of those messages. We've got to. I talk about this so much when I'm, especially when I'm talking with a young guy. I, I one of the first things I ask them is, how was sex discussed in your home? In in almost every time, what's interesting is what is told back with young men that are struggling with pornography is they say, well, it wasn't talked about. We didn't talk about these things. And here's the deal. If you don't teach your children a godly view of things, they're going to learn an ungodly view of it from elsewhere. Right. They're going to learn about an ungodly view anyway. But we need to combat that with proper teaching and right teaching and not teaching them that it's just bad or wrong, but teaching them a biblical view of these issues. And it's the same with any of these addictions, teaching them a proper place for medicine or for drug use or, or different things in, in an improper place, uh, a proper place for sex and the beauty of it and a very improper place in how Satan is a master of counterfeit to take a little right. bit of truth and, and pervert it in such a way that it will lead to destruction rather than the enjoy. And well, and how it's even destroyed a, a, a word like love. Yeah. And when you ask a young, and one of the things that, that we have got to stop doing when a young lady falls into that trap is we've got to stop labeling them with scarlet letters and making that the thing that hangs around their life, their neck for the rest yep. of their life. Yep. Because that trap, it's just like Paul talked about in Second Corinthians about the brother who had been restored. That you, you don't want Satan to take advantage of him. You need to, you need to, to allow him to come back and be part of the fellowship. And we, we have this idea that keeping the body pure means keeping impure people out of the body. Hmm. The fact of the matter is, is we all struggle with sin. That's it. And some of our struggles become very evident based on the types of choices that we've made. Yeah. I mean, I mean if, if you're looking for a perfect church, as soon as you join it, it won't be that way anymore. <laughs> That's absolutely true. In some ways, we could all have a letter written to us like like six of the seven churches of Asia. Oh, yeah. Or five of the seven churches of Asia. One had nothing good or bad said about it. Just, hey, there's going to be some difficult days. And then you got Philadelphia that was like, oh, oh. Okay, yeah, you guys are have done well. Everybody else, you're not exactly passing. <laughs> but we could all have a letter like that written. But one of the things that we've allowed it to do is we've allowed culture to write the narrative on words like love. And so love and sex are now attached to one another as opposed to covenant mm -hmm. and sex. Mm -hmm. And that the covenant, in fact, I had Mark Broyles, that hasn't aired yet, it's going to air in a couple of weeks. But Mark Broyles and I were talking about the difference between a covenant and a contract. He said, you know, a contract is something you make with somebody because you don't trust them. You make a covenant because you love and you trust something. And now maybe the love doesn't factor into it in, in the covenants we think of today. But, but with a covenant of marriage, it absolutely should factor in there. But sex, doesn't, sex is not associated with love. It's associated with covenant, which is associated with love. And until you have that covenant that I'm reserving myself for you and you're reserving yourself for me and we've made this known so that we are now one not just not just in physically intimate ways but the world sees us as part of each other because we've made this known then what you're doing is you are creating intimacy without anything to support it well, unfortunately, my friends, this is where I have to break in and tell you that you have to come back Monday for the second half of BJ's interview on radical repentance. As you can tell, these are things that he takes very passionately. There are things that he's applied in his own life. And BJ, we appreciate you sharing everything with us that you sh that you have shared and will share in the rest of this interview. And we also appreciate the work that you do in the kingdom to help other men overcome their difficulties in their walk with Christ. And BJ, you do a lot of that. And he has resources to help you if you're struggling with some of these things. You might try reaching out to him and allowing him to help you. Now, as I have been saying lately on this podcast, some of you have been reaching out to me to find out how you could support the show. And no, we do not yet have any kind of Patreon account or anything like that. That is something I'm looking into. In fact, I was talking with a friend of mine about that earlier today. 
But as it sits right now, if you would like to help the show in a monetary fashion, I, I have merchandise for sale on the Biblically Speaking store. It's not too expensive, but a coffee mug, t-shirt, something like that, you'll find them there, and I'll put a link in the description. But the number one thing that you can do to help this program is not buy something, it's share it. Share it on Facebook. Share it with your friends. Listen to the episodes. And then tell us what you would like to see or hear an episode on. I would love to hear from my audience about the kinds of things that they would find useful in their walk with God. So until I see you the next time, have a good day. God bless and man up. Dismissed!